Isaiah 43, verse 14 through 21. Um, I'll explain a little bit later on as we get into it, uh, the context into which uh, God first spoke these words through uh, the prophet Isaiah. So here it is. This is what the Lord says. Your redeemer. Right? He, he's the one who, when you think your life is, is worthless, uh, does something in your life to make you like, oh my goodness, my life is worth so much. The redeemer. The holy one of, of Israel. For your sake, I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all of the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. I am the Lord, the Holy One, Israel's creator, your king. Like you had kings before. A couple of them worked out okay, but most of them were a total disaster. But remember, I, I'm your king. I'm the one who leads you. I'm the one who rules. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea. What's he talking about there? Red Sea, right? Escape slavery. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses and army, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Right? The Egyptian army followed them into the Red Sea on dry ground, and all of a sudden, oh, a horrible thing. And then God says this, forget the former things. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See? I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Do you not see it? Are you not paying attention? I am now making a way through the desert. Streams come up, bubble up in the wasteland where there once was no grace. Ah, there is grace. Where once there was no life, there is now water in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me. Even the wild animals. Are you not paying attention? Because the wild animals are. They honor me. The jackals and the owls, because I provide water, grace, love in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen. I'm trying to give you more grace. Are you not paying attention? To give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for, they, for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Oh, we will go that far. There's so much going on there, and I love it so much, and we're about to talk about it. How is that for some divine wisdom? This is what the Lord says. The Lord, that's the, the proper name for God. Yahweh is the way we translate it. It means I am what I am. This is like Yahweh speaking. I am the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth and everything in between. This is what the Lord says. Your redeemer, 
The one who, when your life is worthless, can do something and make you believe, oh my goodness, my my life is worth so much. The Holy One of Israel, your King. This is what the Lord says. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Forget it. Don't dwell on the past. Now, if that's divine wisdom, don't tell all the major retailers right now. Have you noticed that all kinds of old things are becoming new again? Like retro is in. Retro is in and it's cool and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. At least that's what it seems like. A couple of weeks ago, I got an email from Best Buy. In the subject line, it said this. It's not old, it's retro. Right? Because somehow old is bad and dying and decaying, right? And we're all going there. But so old is bad, but retro, oh, Retro is cool. And then it said this in the email, throw it back to new tech. Check out these modern spins. There's a play on words here. Spins on old favorites. Then it showed me some of the things I could buy. It showed me this brand new old school turntable. Turntable, you know record players? You know they spin the records and you've got the needle thing and it, you can hear it? Like those, you could buy a new one. A brand new old school one. And then you could also buy brand new old school vinyl records to play on this brand new old school record player. And this is like a thing. People are grabbing old technology and sort of refurbishing it, making it new. Have you heard about the stores that are popping up all over the place with this stuff? Right? It's amazing. Then it showed me some brand new old school speakers I could buy through which I could listen to the old school new record player playing the brand new old vinyl records. And, and they even had a Polaroid camera. Remember Polaroid cameras where you take a picture of it and it spits out the print and then you got to shake it for two minutes <laughs> to help it develop, right? How many of you have one of those? Some people do, I know. I've seen them. Yeah, I knew you would. Um, <laughs> so retro, Right? What was old is now new again. Retro is cool. Retro is in, and it's all over the place. Right? If you look in my closet right now, you would find four, I counted, four T-shirts and a couple of sweatshirts that look like they came straight from the 70s. Right? Because old is now retro, is now cool. Again, we've got one of those Super Nintendo entertainment systems in our house. It's not the legit old one. It's the new one. It's smaller. It looks exactly the same. There aren't any cartridges, but you got the cool old school controllers. And you can play the old school games, which are all loaded on there. Right? Retro. It's in what was old. Oh my goodness, this is cool now. And if we think about it for 30 seconds or so, we can come up with all sorts of different reasons why this feels good. And at least one of them is this. All of this old stuff reminds us of a simpler place in time when we, where we can forget today that the world is, is just completely bonkers now. It sounds good, doesn't it? Like there's a, there's, I think there's a little bit of, of this in each of us, at least for those of us who are old enough to how, now have stuff from our childhood be retro. Like I'm beginning to realize that I'm that old now. I have retro stuff I can, I can remember. There are things from my childhood that I would love uh, to bring back. I, can think, I bet you can think of a few uh, as well. And that's probably why we can do things like rummage sales. 
because we keep so much stuff, because we have memories tied to those things, and they remind us of a, a simpler place in time, a time without 300 channels, terrorism, and technological overload. Like, we think back, and oh, it feels good to think back to the good old days. So God says through Isaiah, forget the former things. Forget all that stuff. Forget it. Don't dwell. Don't do it. Don't dwell on the past. Now, here's the situation into which God first spoke those words to the nation of Israel through the prophet Isaiah. So God's, God's people, Israel, at the, at the time of this writing, they used to be a once proud, strong, independent nation, and now only a remnant remains. Right? They're exiled in this place called Babylon, living hundreds and hundreds of miles from the place they, they used to call home. And they've been there for decades now, and they're still trying to figure out, how in the world did, did we get there? Right? Their army was defeated years and years ago, decades ago, mostly because they couldn't master the art of modern warfare, which included horses and chariots like their, like their neighbors had mastered it. So Jerusalem was destroyed. Their homeland was destroyed. Their holy temple, the very center of their life, their very center of their culture as a nation uh, was burnt to a crisp. But listen to this. Instead of killing everybody, like most ancient nations like to do so that you just wiped them off the map, you didn't have to worry about them anymore. No, instead of doing that, the Babylonians captured the remnant and they brought them back to uh, what we think of today as modern-day Baghdad. And they had to live, they had to walk hundreds of miles through the desert, the hot, blazing desert, in order to get to this new place. And then they were forced to live there. And then they were actually forced to to what the Israelites thought was pollute their bloodline, and they had to marry people who were not of their own, who were not of their own ethnic background. And for the Israelites, this was just a complete and absolute utter disaster, a mess. And so these people have been living there ever since. And then if you think about it too, hundreds of years before this, they were wandering the wilderness under the leadership of a dude named Moses. Have you heard of Moses? And in the wilderness, they were complaining about going back to Egypt. See, God had freed them from Egypt, brought them through the Red Sea, and now they're wandering in the desert and they're complaining, they're reminiscing, they're wanting to go back to Egypt because back there in Egypt, in slavery, they had, they had three squares a day and they had a place to lay their heads. So this is sort of a pattern that keeps happening. And now the nation of Israel finds itself in exile again, in sort of captivity. And they're thinking about the good old days back in Jerusalem, back when, when things were the way that they wanted them to be. And they, they want to go back, back, in, back to a simpler place in time. And who can blame them, right? It's only natural to do this. One of the ways that we human beings sort of deal with any sort of discomfort or disorientation in our lives is, is we try our best to, um, well, sometimes we dull the pain with some things, but at other times we just try to avoid it. We just don't want to go there. And so we don't think about it. We don't talk about it. We don't, we just don't go there. So we think about the past. We want to go back. We think about the good old days when life was simple and the world wasn't bonkers. And we want to go back there. I mean, think about what's happening in the world today, right? Afghanistan, still. We're still talking about Afghanistan, still. Syria, Iran, like, are we going to start bombing Iran now because they did whatever they did to Saudi Arabia? We think about, we think about that. We think about what's happening 
you know, at the U.S. and Mexican border. We think about the mess that's happening down there. We think about the division in politics. We think about Me Too. We think about Black Lives Matter. We think about the, the treatment of people who identify as LGBTQ. And we, we're, we're not sure, do we include? Do we not include? How do we do? Do we, do we, do, do we embrace? Do we marginalize? We think about that, and it's almost like we get to this place where everything's so confusing, we just want to go back. Wouldn't it be easier if we just went back? We went back to a simpler place in time where we didn't have to think all the, about all this stuff, like maybe the 40s or 50s or 60s. Let's go back there. I mean, now we have terrorism. You know, back then, at least we knew who our enemies were. So let's go back there. Wouldn't that be easier? Well, I can think of a few groups who definitely wouldn't want to go back to the 50s and 60s, like probably women and people of color and, and other groups. But, but if we're in the majority and, and we're you know, mainly white males, it would be, be nice if we could just go back there. Right? We didn't have to worry about all the stuff that's happened between then and now. We want to go back. We want to go back when things were great. That's what we want to do. And so when we think about this and we think about the people living in captivity, the Israelites, so far from home, it's not hard for us to imagine just how badly they wanted to go back. Let's go back to our heyday, man. Let's go back to when things were great. I'm sure it didn't matter. They just wanted to go back. And then here's Isaiah. Listen to where Isaiah is. He's not even with them. He's not even with them in captivity. He's still in Jerusalem where things are all the you-know-what. The place is a mess. It's a rubble. It's terrible. It's horrible. He's living there. He sends the people living in captivity, who actually, compared to the people who were left there, is terrible. They actually got it pretty good. He's writing them a letter, and he's saying, this is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, forget the things of the past. Forget the former things. Don't go there. Do not dwell on the past. And for those people receiving this letter from a prophet of God, some prophet, it must have felt like a slap in the face to them. Did God really want them to forget about all those things? Did God really want them to forget about how he brought them through the Red Sea? Like that's all over the Bible. They're continuously remembering those things. Did God really want them to forget about him leading them out of Egypt from slavery? Did God really want them to forget about how God led them with a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, about how, how God sustained them in the wilderness for 40 years with this stuff, miracle manna stuff? Did God really want them to forget about all of that really good, amazing, awesome stuff? I don't think so. I don't think that's what God's saying here at all through the prophet Isaiah. In fact, I, think it's a, I actually think it's a warning. Because if they continue to just remember their past, if they just continue to be, to be obsessed with the good old days and the way things were, do you know, what, you know what happens then? They completely miss this new thing that God is doing now. Like God is trying to bring us somewhere. Almost like God is dragging us from behind, pushing us forward. God is bringing us somewhere. And if we're stuck back there, we fail to see this new thing that God is doing right now, or that God is about to do. Forget the former things. Do not dwell in the past. 
God says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up before you. Are you not paying attention? Watch for it. So I don't think God wanted them to forget their past. No. In fact, he reminds them of it just a few verses before. In verse 16, he says, this is what the Lord says. Remember, this is the dude who made a way through the sea. This is the one who made a path through the waters. That's the one we're talking about here. So he gives them a vision of the past. He reminds them of how God acted in the past, not so they could wallow in it, not so they could be like, let's go back to the good old days. No, no, no. He gives them a vision of the past so that they can recast that vision into the future so that they can pay attention to what God is doing now. It's going to look differently than what it looked like back then, but it's going to be the same theme, the same kind of thing happening. Instead of making a path through the waters, what does God say he's going to do? He's going to make a path through the what? The the desert. Instead of separating the waters, he's going to make water, grace, love, his presence bubble up in what seems to be a wasteland. Are you not paying attention, God says? Do you not perceive it? And then, guess what happened? He actually did that. God's essentially saying to the people who are captive in Israel, or in Babylon, he's saying, I'm not going to let you die there. This isn't the end of the story. There's more to this story. I'm going to bring you out of here. It's going to look different. And then he did just that. A few years after the writing of this, the Persian Empire defeats the Babylonian Empire. And the first thing that King Cyrus of the Persians does is he lets the people go. He's like, Go back to your homeland. Go back to Jerusalem. Go ahead. Rebuild things. Even gives them supplies, if you follow the story. Gives them supplies and the ability to actually do it. So streams are bubbling up in the wasteland. There's grace where there was no grace. There's love where there was no love. There's transformation where it looked like it was completely and utterly desperate. Are you with me? So, what does this have to do with us? What does it have to do with us? Now, let's, we could talk about this on an individual level. But some of us are in that place where it feels like we're in a, in, a, in, a, in a dry wasteland, and it's like God is nowhere to be seen, and, and, and this seems to be saying to us that just be patient. Open your eyes. Look for it. Wait, wait, wait for it. Do you not perceive it? It's probably happening, and you, maybe you're just not recognizing it now. There is water bubbling up from the ground in the desert, and it can be transformative, and it can bring you new life. So if you're in that place, watch for it. Wait for it. Look for it. If you can't see it and perceive it, lean on somebody else who might be able to see it and perceive it for you because you're not in it alone. So we could talk about this on an individual level. Yeah, God is for us. God is not against us. God can transform individual lives. But what about the church? What about culture? What about where we're sort of in this place that feels sort of messy right now? We don't know where things are going. What about all that? Historians tell us that we're that our culture has 
Um, they've been telling us this for decades, by the way. But we've, we've sort of witnessed and experienced the death of modernity. Right? Modernity was the time when logic and reason, the individual and traditions, the, the things that we've done forever, sort of form the, the bedrock, the foundation for every single thing that we do. And if change happened, it happened really slowly and methodically, and we were very careful with it. Well, historians say that now modernity has given way to post-modernity, and now historians and sociologists are saying that post-modernity has given way to this thing called trans-modernity, and we're not even sure what that is. Nobody knows what that is. We're still trying to figure what that is now, but there's this, like, this growing skepticism of logic and reason. There's like nothing is rock solid anymore. Everything is fluid. Fake news, anyone? We don't know what to believe anymore. We don't know what's real and we don't know who to, we don't know who to trust. There's, a, there's more of this, this openness to unseen things and actually spiritual things, even within the, the realm of science with quantum physics and all sorts of other areas of discipline. There's like this openness to different things. Everything is fluid. It's no longer a matter of, of if things change. It's, when, it's, it's not a matter of when things change. It's they're going to change, and when they change, they're probably going to change overnight. And this presents a problem for the church. Because in the church, both individual churches and the worldwide church, change happens really slow. Are you familiar with this? Like really, really slow. Think Copernicus, Galileo. Oh my goodness, we could give all sorts of examples of how slow the church is to grasp on to what God might be doing in the world without the church. Do you believe that God can do something new in the world without the church? Or in spite of the church and the people of God? Is that possible? Oh my goodness. Of course it is. So in our churches, cultures are, are, in our culture, churches are sort of feeling like we don't belong anymore. We don't know what to do anymore. We're like fish out of water. Like we don't belong here. We just, uh, the focus team just went over this, this survey that sort of mapped the spiritual landscape of, of our community, the city of Ames. And what we found out was 36% of people in the city of Ames are connected to a local church, which probably means that they attend church or a, or a religious institution maybe once or twice a month, maybe. That constitutes connection to a local church. And then we've got like 66 to 67% of the people who are like, eh, not involved. Don't trust the church. Don't trust leaders in the church. Like the church used to be the very center of life and being of communities, especially in this country. It's not that way anymore. No way. Not even close. We're kind of in an exile within our own culture, within our own communities, within our own country. But let me remind you, being in exile isn't necessarily a bad thing. Gives sort of gives God an opportunity to do something. Gives God an opportunity to save, to act, to make a way in the desert. Will we be ready? Are we ready? 
Are we ready to take a look at what God has done in the past and recast that into the future? Like God did this back then, and now God is doing this. Where there was no grace, there is grace. Where there is desert wasteland, there is now water, which brings a possibility of new life. Are we willing to pay attention to what God, maybe God's doing outside of the life of the church and we just got to catch up. Maybe we're just slow. Maybe we need to look for those places of grace and latch onto it and say, yeah, that might just be a movement of God and we're just slow because we want the good old days. We want to go back here where it's so much easier. We don't have to think about all that other stuff because this is much safer. Right? Can, we, can we do that? Leonard Sweet gives a sort of an image of what, this, of what this looks like, could look like, by using the metaphor of an anchor of a ship. So when you think about the church, our traditions and creeds and formulas and even our, our theological leanings, um, there's, there's sort of the anchor of the church. Like the church is a big ship and we've got this anchor and it keeps us anchored so that we don't go off course, right? So they help us as we make our way through the choppy waters of culture. Right? But then Leonard suggests that there's a different way to use an anchor. Right? It's called kedging. Have you heard of kedging? I hadn't. Now I have. Here's what happens. It used to be that when storms were really, really bad, you would have a, a, a ship anchored in the harbor, and it was really dangerous in the harbor because the waves would smash it up against the shoreline and other ships and docks and all that kind of stuff. Well, a crew of about eight or nine people in a small ship would, would be charged with taking the anchor and going out as far as the chain would allow it to and dropping it so that the ship could then wedge itself out into the deeper water. And then it would lift it up again and do it again because out in deeper water, away from the shoreline and other ships, it was safe. It wasn't crashing up against all kinds of other things. So if we're going to navigate this culture in which we live, like we have to become a church that's willing to look at the things in the past and be like, you know what? God's doing a new thing now, and we have to be ready for it. There's now, instead of God parting the waters for us to go, now we've got water bubbling up in the desert. There's now grace where there was none. There's now love where there was none. Are we paying attention? Do we not perceive it? Like, those things in the past are still great and amazing and awesome and beautiful, but if we stay stuck there, we miss the new thing that's happening right here in our midst. So let me give you a, a few examples. Just th- These are just off the top of my head of, of how this is sort of being done today. And then you can dream up some more. You can think of, of some more. Like churches today are now beginning to, to go back and grab some ancient ancient traditions and practices that we used to live into, but now we're not anymore because we've been told that quiet time is the time. Like quiet time, you sit alone with God by yourself and you read the Bible and you get your daily quiet time in and you're good with God and you've learned and, you're, and you'll be fine and you'll maybe learn some stuff. Like, I, I don't mean to make fun of that because I live into that and it's been good. But I think instead of just focusing on that and letting go of all that other stuff, we've sort of, we've sort of like thrown some stuff away that maybe we need to grab onto again. So people, churches are now grabbing ancient traditions and they're 
putting them in the present and they're doing them in new ways. So things like fasting, a spiritual discipline that we've all heard about, but we're like, I'm not gonna fast, I like food. So we don't wanna fast. And so instead of fasting, people are now fasting from things like technology. We're, we're understanding that, oh my goodness, technology is awesome. It presents all sorts of opportunities. It's brought us in so many new places. There's so much more information available to every single person anytime we want it. And it's amazing, but we're also recognizing that technology is now forming us. It's changing us. It's changing the way that we behave. And so some people are recognizing, you know what? I need to step away. I need to step away from technology for a while because it's isolating. It's isolating me. I feel connected because of social media, but really we're still very much isolated. And so we take a step back and we're realizing how all of the ways in which these things are now forming us and changing us and affecting the way that we think and treat other people and think about other people. So people are fasting from technology and instead living into community, face-to-face, flesh and blood relationships more and more on a regular basis. People are, are fasting from, uh, from things like um, from individualism, feasting on community. Here's another example. In, in, in our, our band just did a, a fantastic job a, a while ago. You know, these old hymns, which are beautiful and theologically rich and awesome, and then all of a sudden, here they are again, and it's brand new, but it's old, and it's retro, but it's awesome, and it's deep, and it makes the hair on your arms and the back of the neck stand up when you sing those things, and it's, oh my goodness, it's so, so good. Some people are bringing back this old practice called Lectio Divina. It's a practice that was practiced by monks in the monastery. You know, we've been taught that if you sit with quiet time with God, all by yourself at five in the morning with your cup of coffee, your life will be transformed. And in some cases, that actually happens. But other people are realizing that, you know what? It's better to, it's better to interpret scripture within a community within more people, people, more hearts, more souls, more minds, more experiences with God. And it brings a richness there that we haven't seen in a really long time. And so we're leaning into this practice that's called Lectio Divina. If you want to know more about it, I'll let you know more about it. I'll teach you how to do it. And then like this class that I'm teaching on Sunday nights, this is sort of a, an, a new old way of looking at scripture. We've grown up with, with one way of viewing scripture, And now we're grasping the old and we're making it new again and it's blowing people's minds and we're like, why haven't we been taught this before, right? So so this scripture here is an invitation for us to be like, pay attention to what God is doing now. This is extra and I'm already long. I don't even care. I missed last week, so here we go. There's this this scholar named Phyllis Tickle Tickle, that's her name, Tickle. What a great name. Uh, She's gone, she died, but she's amazing. Brilliant, brilliant mind. She's written this book called The Great Emergence. It's a fantastic book. If you want to learn a little bit more about church history and you want to know about how things changed and progressed throughout the centuries, read this book. It's really fantastic and awesome. But she, she contends that every 500 years, the church goes through this thing. Something happens. Like the church is shaken to its core and it has to have a rummage sale. So it goes through all of its theological leanings and it goes through all of its trinkets and stuff and it realizes that 
there are some things that we just need to let go of because God is doing something new. It's a new thing. And there's this pattern throughout history that this happens every 500 years. It starts with King David. 500 years later, there's the exile in Babylon. 500 years later, there's Jesus comes onto the scene and everything goes, what? And then 500 years later, there's the state religion of Christianity. And then Rome falls and then we fall into the dark ages. And then we get to the the and then we get to about 1,000 AD, and we've got the Great Schism. This is church history, you know, in a nutshell. So, so then you have the Great Schism between the church in the West and the church in the East. And then 500 years later, what do we have? Martin Luther and his 95 Theses, and we have the Great Reformation. And then we've, we've got Protestantism and, and Catholicism. And guess where we are now? 500 years later. Right? But each one of those times, one of those 500 years hit, something new happened. Right? But, and more and more people came to know the love of God. And the gospel, as we call it, the good news of the divine here among us, more people heard about it, more people joined, and more people's lives were transformed. But it wasn't just because of the new. It was also the old realized that, oh my goodness, this new movement, this new change, they weren't totally wrong. And so they made changes. And so if you look, if you look at, at, at what happened during the Great Reformation, then there was the Counter-Reformation. Then the, then the Catholicism went through this period where it was like, you know what, Protestants weren't all, all that bad. And so they made some changes. And so now it feels like 500 years later, we're like in this, in this place where we don't, know where we're, we don't know where we're going. It almost feels like the church is being torn in two. Which place do we go? How do we do it? And so now the challenge for us is to be grateful for what God has done in the past and what God has done for us the last four, 500 years, the last 50 years, and be like, yes, all of that stuff was amazing, and it was right for its time, but there might be some things that we need to let go because there's grace bubbling up here, and we're just now beginning to perceive it. So what are the things that we need to let go of? What are the things that we now need to live into? What are the practices that we used to have that we no longer do that we can now bring into the future so that it can take us somewhere new? Because God is always doing something new. Do you not perceive it? Let's all pay attention a little bit more. That's all I got. Let's pray. God, thank you.